before God and Father, we thank you for your seat, where you sit and where our blameless Lord sits. It is the place where the richness of our identity lies. So God, I pray that as we go through this series that it's not just another little book study, um, Lord, but I really pray that you would transform us into being spitten by Jesus Christ even more, to love him even more, to draw closer to him even more, and also to understand in light of drawing close to him who we are in him, um, that our lives may be transformed because of him and that we would understand the depth and the riches of the investment that you've invested into our lives, Lord God, through Christ's death on the cross, so that, God, so that, so that we can take our time on earth extremely seriously. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord God, my strength and my redeemer, in whom I trust. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. Many of y'all know um, I, I, I love superheroes. Um, how many of y'all like superheroes? Like, yeah, cartoons, though. Like, you got to like cartoons or you really don't like superheroes. Okay, cool. Well, my first favorite is Batman, all right? That's my, that's my mans. That's my mans, all right? But, like, I've been starting to like this other dude, like, not as well as Batman, but, a, but, a, but, a, but this crew of cast called the Green Lanterns, right? Who are y'all heard of the Green Lanterns? Man, I, I, I like Green Lanterns. Now, if you're a real Green Lantern fan, there, there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a statement that you have to know. It says, in blackest day, in brightest night, no evil shall escape my sight. For those who worship evil's might, beware my power. Green Lantern's light. I know y'all like weirded out right now, right? But I like that statement because the Green Lanterns, they get their rings based on their ability to overcome fear. That's how the ring chooses a lantern. It chooses a lantern based on a person that can walk by faith and not by fear. Now, now what's powerful about the Green Lanterns, though, is, 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 the, is the dudes that created the rings, right, specifically made the rings with, 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 with a challenge to it. It has to be charged Every 24 hours. So as powerful as that ring is, as strong as that ring is, they want the people to know, the, the Green Lanterns to know, that no matter how powerful you are when you use that ring, you still have to recharge. So that they can remember that the power is not in the ring, but in something greater than what they have in their possession. And so today we're going to talk about the power source of the new identity. We're going to talk about the power source of the new identity, the, the one who charges us regularly. The, the one who, 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 although he has transformed us, he doesn't just let us meander about with power, but what he does is he does things to us to remind us of our limitations and our need to hasten to him. Say hasten to him. Yeah, you, if, if, as a Christian, you're going to have to learn, you're going to have to learn the power source so that you don't worship what God puts in your possession. God does not like idolatry. 
He hates idolatry. And in light of his hatred of idolatry, he booby traps the Christian's life with specific uh, things to make sure that we're kept in intimate dependence with him on a regular basis. So we back in Ephesians chapter 1. We're trying to finish chapter 1. The Lord has been really, really gracious to us, and I've been enjoying what God has been uh, wrecking my life with as we've been going line by line through Ephesians. I went verses 20 through 23 today. Um, went verses 20 through 23 today, and it reads, it says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. It says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things, say all things, under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Here in this passage, we see now a whole bunch of weighty truth. And it's very important to understand which section of Ephesians we're in right now. We're in the section of Ephesians where Paul is building a theological foundation. When we say theological, how many of y'all say, I don't know what in the heck that means? Okay, pretty, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Everybody, everybody seems to be cool. Well, theological foundation means that which is the, the value system that causes us to walk in something that God wants us to walk in. So we don't just walk in stuff. God influences us with truth, with the right way of thinking, about him and about creation and about Christ, and then he causes us to be able to walk in that truth through his power. So right now, Paul is building a viable theological foundation, and he's building this theological foundation up until chapter 3, even though there will be great theology in the rest of the book, it's going to be more uh, 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 utilizing what's been said in chapter 1 through 3. And so in light of that, Paul is now talking about that power. He's defending the power that comes with the new identity. And he's talking about the source of that power. So we saw last week, we saw that we had power for hope uh, uh, from the past through Christ's work on the cross. We have power in the present to walk over sin fluence. And we have power based on knowing that God is looking forward to spending eternity with us. And then he says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. I, I like this section because it begins helping us to work through the same power that God used to give us hope. The same power that God used to give us an inheritance. The same power that God used um, to help us to say no to sin, to walk in power over sin, was the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That, that same power is there, right? And so, and so here, Paul, as he's talking about that he worked in Christ, brings us to our overarching point for this section. We got an overarching point, like three or four subpoints for it, so we, can, so we can really zoom into what God is saying to us here. And it's very healthy for the Christian to understand. Christ is, central, is the central beneficiary of God the Father's power. Christ is the central 
beneficiary of God's, of God the Father's power. So here, this whole section is dedicated to helping us to know who the central power source is. It's going to talk about four ways in which Jesus Christ is a power source for the Christian, but also for how he runs the universe. This is a beautiful passage on the exaltation of Christ. It, it kind of has the same tone and weight and depth as Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, where it talks about uh, Christ's pre-existence and what he's up to right now. What we're going to find out right, right here is what in the heck is Christ doing right now? Like, is he just up there yawning, waiting to come back? Or is he actively doing something for his father on, on our behalf? And what should our response do if Jesus Christ is busy? If Jesus Christ is up to something? If he's active, not just passive, some dude that died in the past and just is waiting like a deistic savior saying, run things on your own until I come back to wreck shop. No, he is actively up to something. And Paul wants to know that the Lord Jesus Christ's power does not lie dormant. And so here in this passage, we come to our first sub point. The power source, of course, of the identity of the new believer is found in, in a scene in Christ's vindication at the resurrection. <laughs> it's seen in Christ's vindication at the resurrection. It says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now, remember as we were talking in the earlier part of this joint, right, that the, the idea of in Christ is a statement that talks about um, uh, in Christ. Remember from 1 through 14. Y'all still with me? All right, I, I got to explain a lot of stuff so we can get it clear. In Christ, this terminology points back to our idea that's used in the Pauline corpus, meaning all of Paul's letters. Paul uses in Christ, in the Lord Christ, or in the Lord Jesus Christ, to talk about the sphere of activity in which God the Father is actually working now. In other words, God's redemptive activity, when he's buying stuff back and using it the way he wants, he mainly does it only in Christ and nowhere and through no one else. That's his central place of activity. That's even though he has comprehensive universal jurisdiction over all creation, he doesn't do all redemption in all creation without Christ in there doing something and working in light of Christ. You still with me? So, so, so this that he worked in Christ, he, he worked this power in Christ. And, and this idea of work is where we get our word energy from. It's an interesting word. Hear the word it points to power itself, the same power, of course, used to give us hope in the past, looking forward to God enjoying us in the future, and God's empowerment of us over his lingering enemies is the same power God exerted in Christ or in connection with Christ. So the resurrection is the source of and the conduit for power to us. So it's the funneling system by which the Christian gets power. And I know we spend a lot of time singing about the cross, okay? The cross would have been a fluke if Jesus didn't get up. It would have been a fluke. It would have been just another dude dying by a capital punishment. However, Jesus Christ was vindicated. Because he was not guilty, God says it will be illegal in my economy to keep him in the grave. So since it would have been illegal to keep him in the grave because he took on our sin, he didn't take on his own sin, okay? So when sin was eradicated in relation to uh, his death on the cross, 
Um, they, I mean, he shook it off and he was able to get up from the grave. Now, in light of that, there are a bunch of things that the resurrection causes to be put in motion. I don't have time to spend on that, but, but, but there's some clear things that we must understand about this if we're going to understand our power source. Because, because here it, it guarantees our justification. That means that God's wrath passed from you, that God had wrath coming towards you, and Christ, uh, 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 a sacrifice was satisfactory to him, a propitiation for our sin. So in other words, the wrath that God had against you was poured out like water when Christ died on the cross and was raised from the dead. Not only that, it is a guarantee of present-day power and strength, it is the guaranteed, it guarantees fruitful labor. It's a whole bunch of stuff. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It guarantees our own resurrection. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 4, 14. Stay with me. Don't let me lose you. But you got to learn something. It says it will exchange bodily corruption for incorruption. 1 Corinthians 15, 42. In other words, you'll get a new, a new piece of skin. All right. It will exchange dishonor for glory. It will exchange our physical weaknesses for power. It will change, ex exchange our material body for a spiritual body. It emphasizes the deity of Christ, Acts 10.40 and Romans 1.4. It is the springboard of Christ's exaltation. In other words, it was just like uh, uh, one of them things. What do you call those things in the backyard, honey? Did the boys jump on? Trampoline. Yeah, there it is. There it is. It marks the beginning of his lordship over the church. It warns the sinner of the coming judgment day. It forever seals the doom of Satan. It transfers the worship, uh, the worship from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So we see that this is now, now, now right here. He talks about the resurrection. Now he's going to move on from the resurrection. He says that he worked in Christ. When he raised him from the dead, then it says, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Let's stop. Next point. Seen, this, this, this idea, power source of our identity is seen in Christ's exaltation as messianic ruler of the universe. As messianic ruler of the universe. Now, now, now you got to understand, the Bible says over and over again that no one can see God and live. No one can see God and live. And so in this passage, is showing the fact that Jesus Christ went to heaven. He ascended. We're going to talk about the ascension and what that means in a second. And so he's sitting at the right hand of God, and we're going to talk about his present rule, the already and not yet rule that he has right now. But again, we're talking about the power source of your identity. And so he's sitting at the right hand of God. Now, God the Father is non-corporeal. Say non-corporeal. He does, that means he doesn't have a body. So we use human language to describe an unbelievable reality. So, so, so technically, Jesus is uh, figuratively sitting at the Father's right hand, but the Father really isn't sitting anywhere. He's really just present. <laughs> I, 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 I don't even know how to explain that. God, God the Father and God the Spirit and God the Son... Jesus was the same way before he added an additional nature to his identity. 
Stay with me. Because I know this is like wukakosh, but stay with me. So, so, so his glory doesn't have anything to put it away in. It's unveiled. His, his grace is just, just, mercy just, just, I mean, holiness, just righteousness, it's, seen, it's the seen manifest presence of all the attributes of the living God. Jesus is sitting in the midst of that, hanging out, waiting for the return, communicating with dad and communicating with the spirit, able to withstand and enjoy this inapproachable light that's talked about. And oh, oh, I wish y'all would just kind of, oh, but, 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 it, but it's my, he's sitting there in the midst of that. Now, your man Stephen was getting stoned up. I mean, you, can you imagine people playing dodgeball with bricks at you? Stephen in Acts chapter 7 was getting jumped by people, but they weren't using their fists. They were using stones, okay? Now, while he's dying, he looks up. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm getting the toast beat out of me, I don't know if I'll look up, okay? Now, he looks up, and nobody else can see it. Somehow, some way, shape, or form, the heavens opened up. And Stephen is getting stoned to death. And in the midst of getting stoned, he looks up. And this is what made the stoning go worse. He says, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of power. Hold on. He saw Jesus. The first heaven opened up. That's our clouds. The stratosphere, that is the universe, it's, it's black blanket opened up. Then, I don't know how he had the vision. Y'all gotta, do y'all understand what I'm saying? He saw from where he was standing in Jerusalem all the way from here. So God gave him superhuman x-ray vision to be able to see him with everything. And then the third heaven opened up and he just saw the massiveness of the living God and Jesus standing real fly in the midst of it. Now, he's supposed to be sitting down, but he's not sitting. He's standing. <laughs> Now, 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 what's beautiful about that is Jesus, Jesus is welcoming your man up. He said, come on, man, just, he's, come, come on with your boy. I know they wilding down there. Come on and hang with me forever. Beautiful stuff. Jesus is sitting there in the midst of the greatest power of the universe, his father. However, he's equal with him, so he has the same power. So that power that I don't even know how it works. Like, are they sharing? Like, is glory, con like, I'm trying to figure this out. But we're just trying to give a picture of what it means for Jesus to be sitting at the right hand of God. He's sitting there waiting to come back and wreck shop. Sitting in the midst of the beauty and power of the living God, the greatest power source in the universe. And listen, God doesn't run out of power. He is power. God doesn't recharge himself. God doesn't say, dang, we running out, fam. You going to plug in for me? Plug me in. It don't work like that. He say, man, he's enjoying being powerful and energized by the power that he has. And so Jesus, seated at the right hand, is in the heavenly places. Now, th now, these are some of the things that it talks about in relation to his ascension, because now this implies the fact that he's seated at the right hand, that he went in between the resurrection and him being seated at the right hand, what was the way in which he got there? Say ascension. Ascension is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. You'll see Jesus prophesying his ascension 
This got him in trouble so much. And like Matthew 26, 63, it says, but Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. I like his answers. He says, but I tell you. He started wilding on him. He says, from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. He basically says, after y'all kill me, you ain't even going to see me again until I come back and I'm going to give you a beat down. He was threatening him just now. Jesus did threaten people. I just want to let y'all know that. Okay. So the ascension, okay, however, is more than merely a past event. It has further significance in the New Testament that can be summarized, of course, in the way we're going to do it right now. So for Christ, the ascension is the necessary entrance into his heavenly glorification in which he sits at the right hand of God the Father until his enemies become a footstool. We're going to talk about that in a section. So Jesus' view of his ascension is several things. It's about five things. It's about five things. Jesus' view of his ascension, number one, points to him as the connector of heaven and earth and God and man. Points to him as the connector of heaven and earth and God and man. In John chapter 1, verse 51, Jesus tells Nathaniel and his new disciples, he says, he says, you're going to, he says, you think what I just did was real fly? He says, when I, he says, but you're going to see the son of man, the angels of heaven ascending and descending on the son of man. It's pointing back to Jacob's ladder. Stay with me, y'all. Don't let me lose you. But this is weighty stuff. So you got to keep up with me. Let's go with it. All right. So look, connecting heaven to earth. So the bottom of the ladder touched earth. The top of the ladder touched heaven. Angels were going up and down on it. Jesus Christ is saying, I am that ladder. So it points to Jesus connecting heaven to earth. Now, so, so what he's saying is the ascension points to the fact that Jesus not only can come hang out on earth, and wreck shop, but he can also be in heaven and wreck shop. But he's not just trying to be mean. He says, I want to connect everything back together again. I want to connect it the way God originally had it. So that's one of the things that it points to. Number two, unique to himself alone. <laughs> Real simple. Ain't nobody else going to do it like that. <laughs> John 3.13. Number three, key to asserting his authority as associated with his divine origin. Beautiful. Key to asserting his authority as associated with his divine origin. John 6, 62. It had comprehensive benef benefits for his followers. John 14, 2 and 3. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. For where I am, you may be also. So it has, his ascension has benefits for us. Not only that, number five, benefit from the, from the coming of the spirit. John 16, 7. He says he's going to ascend in order that the spirit of truth can come to planet Earth. So the ascension is proof of Jesus' glorification and the superiority of him over the Old Testament heroes like David and him. So by his ascension, he rises over all and fills all, receiving the name that is above every name. We're going to talk about that in a second. For the author of this book, for the book of Hebrews, the ascension is also proof of Christ's superiority over angels. He sits enthroned while they are con constantly being sent out to serve. Hebrews 1, 13 through 14. 
Angels, authorities, powers, all subject to the ascended Christ. So, for the Christian, the ascension of Christ is meaningful in four ways. Him being seated at the right hand of God is booming in four ways. Number one, without it, we would have no Holy Spirit. Real simple. Number two, a truly human Jesus ascended to heaven, therefore making it possible for other human beings to ascend there. So if Jesus did not go to heaven, we would not have been able to go there. He's the first. Third, the ascension proves that the sacrifice of Christ is finished and accepted by God. Hebrews 4.14. Number four, the ascension means that there is a human being in heaven who sympathizes with humanity and can therefore intercede on humanity's behalf. Jesus is right now seating at the right hand of God. Now, nobody in the Godhead has ever been human except for Jesus. And so Jesus is up there empathizing with what we're going through, watching us. Now that he's gone to heaven, he can see everything at the same time. He's no longer surrendered the, the use of his attributes now. He has full use of his attributes all over again in no, no longer surrendering them to the Father like he did in Philippians 2. Stay with me. So now Jesus can see everybody at the same time, hear everything at the same time. You know what I'm saying? Like Superman, when he went up on the thing and was, you know, in the movie and was out in space like this, and he had his eyes all closed, and then he zoomed in on one thing. See, Jesus don't have to close anything off. He can focus on everything all at the same time and give just the same amount of power to each thing that he's focusing in on. Why? He don't have to go, um, um. He don't have to do none of that. And he can focus in on it. He can answer prayers. He can talk to you. He can challenge you and all of us at the same time. And there's a worship gathering. Come on. He can be like, I like that worship over there. They stink over there. Then he can still be answering prayers, still calling the Holy Spirit to do work, filling people with the Holy Spirit. Terry, he can do, he can, he can, Cast out all of this at the same time. He says, he said, it's a benefit that I send it. That's our power source. Jesus is powerful. He's all powerful. He didn't just have all power in his hands. He had a use of the power that he had in his hands. Wish y'all would stay with me. <laughs> but this is powerful stuff that God does on the behalf of the Christian that he's there talking about your needs to the father. All of ours at the same time, talking to God the Father. Influencing God's authority on how he should call the Godhead to react to our needs. <laughs> he said, Dad, listen, listen, listen. Listen, I know you want to tear him up right now. Do it. <laughs> Father, I, I mean, li listen, listen. You know, he's sweating. You know, I've done that before. That whole sweating thing. I don't even know what it feel like anymore. I ain't there no more. But um, he's sweating. He's hurting. They're pain. And he can explain. He can talk. Not like God doesn't know anything. But they, he, he gets to empathize with us so that it gives him potency in how he explains it to the heavenly dad. I don't even know how. I, I, I don't even have human words to explain the power of our intercessor. There is no preacher 
There is no orator that can explain it with great detail. All I know is that it's happening and it's having effect on us right now. That our, that our, that our Savior is still... Now, if I went to heaven, I'd say forget all y'all, right? But he's in heaven actually concerned. See, once I see, see, once I see him, I'm going to forget everything, pain, everything. And I'm just going to be, ah, oh, fall out. This. Now, that's when I'm going to really get slain in the spirit. That's going to be the real one. You know what I'm saying? They're going to throw, you know, Jesus' cloak over me while I'm laying there for a while. All right? But Jesus Christ, but listen, Jesus Christ, listen, Jesus Christ is in the place of origin and still is thinking about us. still concerned about us that's our identity you may be in here thinking somebody doesn't care about you jesus is sitting at god's right hand caring for you more greatly than the sex you're trying to get from home girl some of you trying to give it away because you think you're going to find your identity in it. Because you didn't find your identity in daddy. Because you didn't find your identity in moms. Because you didn't find, because they didn't do this right. Because I got, this happened to me. No, Jesus Christ is the center of the Christian's identity. And he cares about you. And he's working stuff for your good, even if it doesn't feel great. There is no point in anything that you're going through where Jesus isn't talking to the Father about it. He doesn't gossip about you. He doesn't slander you, but he does talk about you all the time. Talk right behind your back, yet because you're seated with him in your face. You'll get that on the way home. So this, this, this truth, this idea of this, our Lord's ascension, is powerful. And so thus Christ's ascension is an indispensable aspect of his teaching. It is the basis for the recognition of Christ's exalted status and for the Christian's confidence and hope. It says heavenly places, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that today because I'm going to spend some time on it a little later. So we're going to skip over heavenly places, even though I want to talk about it so bad it's burning in me. But verse 21, it says, he's been exalted far above all rule, all authority, all power, dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but this age to come. Now, I'm going to do a little bit of explanation of this idea of Christ being positioned far above everything. I'm going to do a little bit of convo on this because we need to talk about this. It talks about he's above all rule. We're going to explain what rule is. All authority. We're going to explain that. Power and dominion. Now, they sound like synonyms or synonymous terms, but they're not. Yet, they, they're connected. Now, I'm going to, when we get on spiritual warfare, you're going to understand why we're spending time on this. Because it's going to talk about these same things. However, in order for you to understand spiritual warfare, like you can rebuke Satan. I, did, I rebuke you. Ah, Satan, get away. You know, you can do all of that you want to. Ah, uh, no, you're not scaring Satan. Ah, you know what I'm saying? Get, 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 you know, and all of that, okay? If you don't understand this, he's not going anywhere. Because when you do that, you're doing it in your own power, not the power of Christ. So now we're going to understand why. Now look at this. He's put above all rules. Say all rule. This points to Jesus having the highest rank 
of all God's officers. <laughs> Remember when your man John said, there's one coming after me that's higher in rank than I. In other words, Jesus has the highest rank. I don't know if you know it or not, but there was a dude uh, that when Joshua and them were fighting, they was a little scared. A dude with a sword appeared to him. And, and your man Joshua bowed and he didn't say anything. He didn't say, get up, I'm like you. He just let him stay there. And then he talked to him. That means he let him worship. That means that was the incarnate Christ. And, he's, and the Bible says that that was the captain of the Lord's army. Okay? So the captain now, he had a sword, a big old sword. All right? So that means he fights. Okay? That means he, he's not standing there. Oh, what are you, Joshua? Come here, Joshua. Holding Joshua by the chin. Kissing him on the cheek and saying, rubbing his hair and saying everything's going to be all right. No, he was there with a sword, okay? Okay, he was there saying, I'm the captain, all right? Now, y'all ain't going to have to fight. He just did like that twice and just, just two angels just like, watch it, watch it, watch it. He said, I like that. Woo, I like a God that's both intimate with me, but they can wreck shop for me. Both and. So he has all rule. Now, dang, I wish I had time, but I'm going to have to shut this thing down. Man, so there are two types of rule. There's unredemptive rule, and there's redemptive rule. Now, he's over unredeemed rulers, and he's, un, he's over redeemed rulers. Now, under redeemed rulers, stay with me, and unredeemed rulers, there are two categories. There's spiritual and natural. Okay, uh, so unredeemed rule, there's natural rulers. That would go to uh, uh, co uh, corrupt authority. Corrupt political authority would be an example of that. Spiritual rule will kind of be like demons and practitioners of witchcraft. Y'all still with me? Uh, redeemed rule under their natural and spiritual. Natural rule is missional. That's redemptive rule. Missional political leaders. That means that all politicians are not bad. God appointed all politicians, but there are those who are Christians who see their role in politics as a missional activity. That's an example of redeemed natural rule, but then redeemed spiritual rule under Jesus Christ are pastors. Now see, this is laying the foundation for a whole lot of stuff. Godly husbands. Don't let it get quiet now, because this is all building the foundation for chapter 5. He's, and listen, and, and wife towards children. So women, you are redeemed to rule. Men, you are redeemed to rule. Shepherds, you are redeemed to rule, but you are all ruled by Jesus. Okay? So, so, so now, I'm, I'm explaining this because this has to build the foundation. Pastors, I'm sorry. I'm, I got to go over just a little bit. Is that okay? Just a little bit. All right. So, so, so the next one is all authority. God, so beautiful. So he's over all authority, right? The power of decision-making. Jesus has carte blanche. <laughs> carte blanche. That means he can do what he wants. In other words, the father said, you ain't got to ask me no more. I'm handing over to you some of my duties. I'm going to explain that in a second. The, when Jesus Christ came uh, from, from earth to heaven, when he exalted him, he, he removed Yahweh as a name to be used to call upon the name of the Lord and use Yahshua's name as the main name to contact the Godhead. So when you dial heaven, Yahweh doesn't work. Jesus works now. Okay? So now, the Father has certain authoritative role as God the Father. When Jesus Christ came and ascended to the Father's right hand, 
He said, listen, I'm going to delegate a whole bunch of stuff to you. So he basically gave him a, a higher position focus sheet. So he hands it to Jesus. All the staff know what I'm talking about. And he, gave, he said, these are your roles. And he handed it over to him. He handed over judgment to him. He handed over discipline to him. He handed over headship of the church to him. He even took off his crown and gave it to Jesus. And he says, now, I want you to rule everything. Now, I'm going to just, just intercede, talk to me, tell me what you want me to do. But I'm Jesus is subordinate to the Father, yet God has relinquished some of his authority to the Son, and the Father is no longer active in doing some of these things. That's why Jesus can't just be a man. He's not just a man. God doesn't give up that type of authority to a human. He's God and man. Both. He's not just a good dude. He's not just a prophet. He's not just the best example. He's God. So when he says all authority, he has carte blanche. He can do what he wants. He has been given the sovereignty of the Godhead is in his hands right now. Now, all of them are just as sovereign, but Jesus has been given central sovereignty until he hands things back over to the Father. <laughs> Stay with me, please. Now, 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 he doesn't have to ask the Father for stuff. The Father trusts him so much that Jesus just gets to decide. So, under authority, guess what there are two types of authority? Unredeemed authority? Redeemed authority. Under unredeemed authority, let's talk about natural authority. Some, of the, uh, some unredeemed natural authority is male chauvinism. That's men trying to th take authority that they don't have. That's unredeemed. <laughs> or not exercising their authority as a man biblically. We'll get to that. Feminism. Adding to your identity... Therefore, lowering your worth by calling yourself into roles that God doesn't have you in. That's feminism. We're going to get to that when we get to chapter 5. All right? Unsaved husbands are natural authorities, yet still an authority. Unholy bosses are natural authorities. Y'all twitching like a mug right now. But guess what they still are? Authority. Civic officials. Now, spiritual authority that's, that's, that's unredeemed. Demons practice over witchcraft. Now, let's look at redeemed authority. There's natural and unnatural. First natural one is parents, boss, civic officials, spiritual authority, parents, shepherds, disciple makers. The church over Christ's enemies. And the mutual relationship, when we get to Ephesians 5.21, we're going to talk about mutual authority of Christians over other Christians, not over the authorities that God has put over Christians together. Okay? Okay? Great biblical structure there. Next, all power. I may stop after this one. All power. He's given all power. Now, what does all power mean? Jesus is the most powerful being in the universe, all whom God the Father has authorized to have power. Jesus, in his incarnation, placed his independent use of his power as God, the Son, 
in the hands of the other members of the Trinity while he was on earth without losing that power. Okay? So he restrained himself. That means it was stuff while he was on earth. I don't know if he ever got bullied, but he did. I don't know what he did when he got bullied. I'll just move on from that. The father rewarded Jesus by authorizing his use of his power again and authorized Jesus with a greater level of power that was originally different than his pre-incarnate role. Okay? That was that upgrade I was telling you about without changing who he is. Because God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore in their nature. This is very important for you to understand, Christians. Don't go to sleep now. Yeah, this is very important stuff for you to understand. You can't just get happy on the shouting stuff. Got to understand some doctrine that makes you shout. Now, there's unredeemed power and there's redeemed power. There's unredeemed power and there's redeemed power. Natural power is ethnic power versus ethnic worth based on the Imago Dei. So if your sociology precedes your theology, you're walking in unredeemed power. If you're running around shouting white power and black power without Jesus being the power that gives you power, you are functioning in a demonic role. Again, male chauvinism, some of these goes under all. Civic authority, feminism, all of that. Now, spiritual power, of course, unredeemed. Demons, practices of witchcraft. Now, redeem power, but also under spiritual power that is unredeemed, pastors who abuse their power. Pastors who abuse their power. Redeemed power, okay? Natural power, <laughs> muscles, of course. Parents, civic officials. And spiritual power, the church. Spiritual redeemed power is found in the church. Now, all dominion. Now, let's talk about what this means. All dominion men given to Jesus of power and position as lordship. So pointing to his lordship, it's his dominion over everything. Power is the ability to, is, is having the resources. Authority is having the position. Dominion is the practice of all of that. That makes sense? Okay, so now unredeemed rule is both natural and spiritual. Unredeemed natural rule is parents and civic. That These are people that can abuse that. Now, and also pastors, shepherds. Spiritual rule, same thing. Demons. Redeemed dominion here and natural rule points to all of those figures that we've talked about before. So, Nothing in the world changes the sovereignty of Jesus. So what do we say all of this for? These are all the sectors of the world that Jesus Christ is over. He's over everything. Now, just because something is unredeemed and it seems like they're getting away with it, God does not let any authority, any rule, any power, any dominion get away with abusing the power that he's given to them without either intervening in time or eternity. What in the world does that have to do with your identity? If you know who you are, then you can stand under unredeemed rule, dominion, power, and authority because you know that the one who you're over is under is ultimately over all of that. 
Therefore, you can trust it. That's what it means to believe in the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of God is not just when things go well. It also is when you're under bad stuff, in bad stuff, and experiencing bad stuff. And can you still believe that in the midst of unredeemed rule, unredeemed power, unredeemed authority, unredeemed power, that God can still work in Christ even in the midst of all of that? That is the point of understanding your identity in Christ. But our goal in all of the sectors of the kingdom, and I'll talk about this next week and we're going to stop here. The church is not the kingdom, it's only a part of the kingdom. Even where unredeemed rule lies, even where unredeemed rule lies, okay, they're, 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 God, Jesus Christ rules. But where specifically redemption happened is where his sphere of activity is happening among his people. Now understand this, your kingdom theology is the key to you understanding everything. If you don't understand God's comprehensive rule in Christ over all creation, then everything in your life is going to be misunderstood from your sexuality, from what you do with your body, to what you do with your mind, to how you work. It impacts everything. And so even as us as Christians, as we're going to see next week, is the church is a part of the kingdom. It is not the kingdom. It is a part of it, but it's the key missionary agency of God's glory in the earth as an ambassador of his kingdom. But the center of the kingdom is not the church. <laughs> the center of the kingdom is not the power that God has given you. The, 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 cent, the center of the kingdom is not you going into your destiny. God wants you in your destiny. We're going to talk about that in Ephesians 2.10. But the most important and central idea that we want to walk away from this is that Jesus Christ is the, uh, is the preeminent, preeminent, premier superstar who is central to the kingdom. And he has authority. So if you don't like authority, you're going to struggle with being a Christian because Jesus is full of it. I know our generation don't like authority. We like, we like carte blanche. We like to... Do what we want. But God has assigned even unredeemed authority and redeemed authority in your life to honor and represent him in the earth, knowing your identity without shaking on it and not being made to do anything that has nothing to do with the kingdom, yet still submit to him and be faithful to unredeemed and redeemed authority. <laughs> and I'm telling you today, fam, this is when... The rubber meets the road what it means being a Christian. Being a Christian meets the road when you understand the authority of Christ, the power of Christ. The, the, if Christ only rules when we gather, then he's weak. If he only is powerful when the spirit gets high, he's very weak. But if he rules everything that the sun touch and doesn't touch, that we see and don't see, because the first Adam only ruled natural creation. But Jesus Christ rules both natural and spiritual creation. We'll talk about it next week. But if you're here today, you're not functionally under Christ's authority unless you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And, and him, being, him being Savior of your life means that you admit. Repenting means changing what you think about him. Changing what you think about him and turning to him and saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm jacked. That's what all of us have admitted. And laying that before him and giving him redemptive jurisdiction over your life, buying you back and using you based on God's original attention, uh, intentions, 
based on satanic and personal intentions. So if you're here today, you can repent. Repent of your sin. Turn away from your sin and turn towards the one who died on the cross for your sins and put confidence in him. He satisfied God's wrath that's after you by dying on the cross. The only way for that satisfaction to ever be applied is for you to have faith in him. If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation of your sins, then that wrath is still on you and a contract is still out on you. So if you're here today and you want to trust God through Christ alone, we have some cards on the back table. We want you to fill them out. And our connections team want to, want to connect with you, want to talk with you and explain to you what it means to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Father, we honor you. Um, that you are, you show your humility through how you rewarded Jesus Christ. Your humility is phenomenal. <laughs> your humility is, it's mind-boggling, the hum- humility of the spirit, the humility of the son, mutual submission, just how you guys operate. It's just a beautiful thing. And I'm glad you've given your power to one who doesn't abuse it, um, you've given your power to one who understands us even. In the use of his power, he uses empathy even how he exercises his power. Lord, I, I pray that I can come become a leader like that. Like the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we as the church would sense your comprehensive rule. And live in light of your comprehensive rule over everything. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for showing us that we can wait, that that the payday isn't today. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.